Welcome back to KBLA Talk 1580. I'm your host, Angelique Francis, and this is Living in the Sweet Spot. We define the sweet spot as the intersection between divine timing, power, and performance all to accomplish a purpose. And I continue to bring you amazing overcomers to share conversations with you. We talk about Kairos moments, which are miraculous moments, all in the sweet spot. This month, we um, have been uh, highlighting different types of loving relationships, and we're going to talk about uh, the self-love a little bit today. And um, we've talked about health and wellness. We've talked about life after divorce. We've talked about demystifying therapy and the advantage of life coaching versus therapy and coach, you know, therapy versus life coaching. And um, I was at the Pan-African Film Festival uh, this week, which is always a stop I try to make. And um, I went to a short competition and I met an amazing uh Filmmaker. His name is Matthew Law, and that was at the Pan African Film Festival. And I know that he's got some other things on the coming up. And I wanted to bring him and his cast in because I thought it was a significant story. And let me tell you a little bit about Matthew. He's a writer, director, editor, and um, the name of his world premiere story was True Stories God Tells Bad Jokes. That's what I saw. Also joining us in the sweet spot will be two of his co stars in that project, actors. Stephen Barrington and Reginald LaShawn Clay. All of you, welcome in the sweet spot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I'm happy you're here. So, so Matt, happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, you know, so that was really cool that that film festival is over there at the Crenshaw Baldwin Hills Mall. I think it's the 31st or the 30th. It's see, 31st, 31st, isn't it? Yeah. 31st anniversary of that particular film festival, which um, I'm happy to be here. I used to come to L.A. to try to attend it. Now I'm here uh, almost full time. Mm. And I loved it. Uh, Matthew, I know that you're you didn't act in this project, but you wrote it, directed it, produced it and edited. it. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was a lot. It kept you busy. Tell me why you uh, wrote this project and what this project's about. Mm. Well, I'll. I... Thank you for having us once again. And I just want to invite everybody to take a deep breath if you are rushing through your day. Um, that's how we operate, too, on our sets. Uh, so I just want to invite y'all in for that, just for us to take a pause. Because that's part of what we made this project for. Uh, this was based, uh, we did the first one in 2020, which was one where I stress tested it by acting in it as well and shooting it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but this is really because I was receiving too many phone calls from friends late at night who are going through emotional um, and even suicidal ideations. Um, and then when morning came, they would uh, pretend as if nothing happened. And that's been a lifetime of that. And I think when so many of us are in survival mode for all of our life, um, when those things catch up, when we start making life decisions, when you know you have kids raising kids, when you have people who are making commitments, um, and it's time for us to look at ourselves in the mirror, I wanted to make a series about therapy, mm -hmm. um, but also about how caretakers need care. So we center the story on Daniel Stone, a, th a black therapist. Mm -hmm. And this is about different clients who come in. It's a five-episode series. This is the second, the one that you saw at the beautiful Pan-African Film Festival, which we are so grateful to be a part of. Mm -hmm. um, the second episode is called, called God Tells Bad Jokes, uh, where he takes on a client who's a comedian, but who is hiding a whole lifetime of pain Absolutely. <laughs> behind his laughter and smiles and it was so well done um not just the subject and the sensitivity and authenticity of your actors and the script you did a great job thank you 
but it was all whatever also struck me was how you decided to shoot this mm-hmm. um in terms of colorization colorization or lack thereof sure tell me why you chose and what you, what it looks like so you know this is part where uh the realities of production right like i was too lazy to color the first one um, <laughs> to I be believe, real, but, I, I don't even want to hear that. Well, okay. I don't believe you. <laughs> what was interesting is I think when we conceptualize things, you know, we can find story is what story is king and queen. Right? Sure. So uh, the idea was is that if we are centering this through the point of view of a therapist, can how much can how can we tell the audience that not all is right in his world? I think part of the stigma with therapy is that you are entering into a space where this person is perfect and talking from a mountain on high to diagnose. And and so instead, this is a human being, Mm -hmm. um, and his world is in black and white. Mm -hmm. He's quite literally in this binary world of good, bad, and you see in the first episode how he wrestles with the client who is in the gray. Mm -hmm. And I think that this being in a black and white was to be very noir, but tonally, we lean more and more into comedy as the episodes progress, but also as his vision emotionally starts to open up, so too does the spectrum of colors he sees. So we see red in the first episode. Mm -hmm. The second episode, we see blue. And then from there on out, basically, can he bring color back into his life? Okay. Okay. Um, But that's never stated explicitly, actually, until the the last episode. So that's that's a little inside baseball. So you had a little uh, subtext going through your color and yes. um, and how you chose that. Really, really well done. Um, you. You've got, this film just really highlights two actors. One is a psychologist and one is the, the uh, client. And what struck me, besides the good writing and the good acting, really good acting and really good writing, was this idea that they both need to help each other. So, you know, you're not walking into some place that this godlike, you know, character who has all the answers, mm. but that you allowed us a glimpse into the therapist's life as well. Yes. And I thought that was done really brilliantly. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the, um, the this was not meant to be a monologue. I think in my experiences with therapy, and to center it on this, I think what's interesting is... Uh, that we wanted this to be a place of radical intimacy, of intimacy with dignity. And I think for that to happen, we have to see the flaw behind the hero. And so this Mm -hmm. hero, Mm -hmm. um, we expanded to his home life. Things uh, Literally, the text he gets from his wife in the beginning lets us know that maybe not everything is okay at home. Right. Um, And how is he dealing with that? And I think that for him to learn something from his client – and once again, break these boundaries that I think we start to erect between ourselves mm-hmm. on screen for me, let alone having two black men just be vulnerable with each other. Well, that was striking uh, as well. Mm. That was that was so significant. And what our vulnerability looks like sometimes is different than some other cultures, Completely. some other genders. Right. But what you were able to capture, all three of you, as I'm looking at all three of you filmmakers, you were able to capture um both how we cover with comedy and how we cover with bravado and how we cover, right? And then, but you were delicately exposing and um, minimizing Mm. the shadow that we hide behind, right? Yeah, I think that the the masks that we can put on um, in our society is one thing, but also culturally, like you're saying. And specifically, I think part of what we wanted to get to is also showing how movement and how getting out of our head 
uh, which is where we end up going with the series, but that this is not just intellectual or ide- ideologically a sort of a mathematical problem of solving ourselves. It mm-hmm. is a relationship. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that means how can we get in our bodies, but also how can community be the cure, which is, I think, why brotherhood, why um, friendship, why sharing and vulnerability is so uh, special and how he learns from his client oh, wait, hold up, can we dance this out <laughs> as well, too? Okay. It's a little unconventional. Well, you know, I love this title, True Stories, God Tells Bad Jokes. Um, we're going to talk about why you named it that, and we're going to hear from our actors when we come forward all in the sweet spot. All right, if you are just joining me, I have an amazing cast and uh, creator here we have uh, the makers of True Story God Tells Bad Jokes that's Matthew Law and the actors Stephen Barrington and Reginald LaShawn Clay wow you guys um, I do want to know from you Matthew since you are the writer yes ma'am why the title True Stories God Tells Bad Jokes you know I think for some of us who have experienced such ludicrous things in our life how do we explain them and I think that you know I was raised by a very Christian uh, God-fearing mom and uh, I remember wrestling with uh, you know my dad died very young and I I witnessed it and I remember just thinking Viktor Frankl who's a psychiatrist talks about how absurdity um, and humor um, is actually something that can be such a valid response to suffering and I think that when I was also a teenager one of my friends died from gun violence and it was a stray bullet, they said. And so you think, where did that come from? Where did this where did this bullet come from? Mm-hmm. And I think that the sort of impulse, which we play with with the comedian who's, who's um, coping with this, is like, is God telling a joke to me? Is this just a really bad joke? Because I have no other way to cope with this other than to laugh or go mad, right? They say that, like, laughter and, mm-hmm. and tears, like, mm-hmm. they're the same response as just mm-hmm. one has. Mm-hmm. So that was just a play on, I, I think, the sort of how do we wrestle with um, things that are outside of our comprehension? Mm-hmm. And is God telling a bad joke to me right now? Okay. So I've got the two main actors in this particular uh, segment that I saw, right? So tell me... Who you play? What's your name? Uh, Reginald LaShawn Clay, and I play Dr. Daniel Stone. Okay. And you are pretty much featured throughout the entire series, correct? I am, yes. Okay. Um, You did a great job. I'm just (laughs) curious. um, What did you draw on in your own personal life to bring this character so true to form? Um, You know, I I mean, you know, I'm... Working with uh, with Matt from the uh, from the first one, uh, there was a there was a bit of, you know, well, okay, I'll I'll, I'll say this. So I used to be a correction officer mm-hmm. um, once upon a time, <laughs> years ago, and um and something you have to have in in that particular space is a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that that uh, they really would drive home was fair, firm, and consistent. And um, so kind of drawing on fair, firm and consistent, fair, firm and consistent. Okay, Right. And so drawing on that, um, that that helped me a lot with a lot of my it's a it's a technical term for performing, but just stillness, essentially. And just being able to listen a lot more and not 
speak so much. So that's why you think you were perfectly cast for this as a therapist, <laughs> <laughs> because you have some understanding around fair, firm, and consistent. I think I, I'll say I, I don't know if that makes me perfect for it, but I think it, it helped me it, initially, at least in in the first one. I think you'd have to ask Matt why he was because why he hit me up like, yeah, I want you to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because it it started out as us just trying to stay busy essentially. Mm-hmm. So we did this first one. Um, initially, and the response from that was so fantastic because there was you have these two black uh, um, uh, guys. There's one is in a is in a position of power essentially in that space, and at least he believes he is. And um and we don't really see that interaction at least even just black people going to therapy to to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um and so just kind of going from that and just and seeing the response from that and deciding to do this particular one and there's been an evolution of learning. We 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 work with a therapist to kind of see like okay well what what works something going through the the text and script analysis. I really wanted to make sure that it, where where it is a form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure that um, we weren't being harmful in, in any way or mm-hmm. saying anything that just for entertainment purposes. Right, so you did your research. Absolutely. <laughs> right, absolutely. absolutely. Um, going going through the script and just wanted to make sure. And, and Matt did a fantastic job even with uh, the, the terminology and, um, and, and diction, just making sure that everything was as spot on as possible mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. even um, working with our uh, liaison um, to make sure everything was, was as tight as possible. Okay, and so, and we also have you. Your name? Uh, Stephen Barrington. And Stephen, what part did you play? Um, I played the role of Anthony. Um, I'm a comedian who I'm client to Mr. Daniel Stone in uh, in, this, in this episode. Um, yeah, my character actually is very close to home just as an artist and storyteller, as most comedians are. They're telling stories. Um, but then, you know, his story, Anthony's story, was uh, very close to my personal story as well. Um, you know, I lost a friend as well um, when I was younger, um, which was my cousin, uh, best friend uh, to gun violence um, and it wasn't even they were playing with a gun him and my other cousin were playing with a gun and he was shot on accident but then um, my grandmother she didn't say anything because she thought the other cousin would get in trouble mm-hmm. and he was, he was bleeding internally and um, that's how he died um, so you know that's even more involved with our own mental health of making this decision to try to protect another or right. you know keep it safe because there wasn't any blood showing um mm-hmm. and yeah so um yeah hit very close to home for me personally well and your character um once when you guys get to see this your character is a cutter mm. and so you are self-harming yeah and I started doing a little research, and I'm sure you did a lot more, Matthew, um, in terms of writing this, how prevalent that is in our community, mm-hmm. how prevalent it is in uh, impoverished communities, and this whole idea of um, self-hatred. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a fight to take control. Sure. You know, of something. Uh, yeah, of yeah. something, mm-hmm. of something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know in my, my own personal journey, um, I almost committed suicide um, coming up on my 12th year anniversary now and one of the things that I realized was you know it was just so many things it wasn't this one situation it was years of things just piled up and I wasn't actually afraid to die I was actually afraid to live to keep living because I didn't want to endure any more traumas or any more you know hardships or, or losses for that matter right you said off air you saw when we were off air of that um you, at one point you thought, how could anyone take their life? How could anyone even be that depressed or that sad or, you know, that 
in that kind of state. Yeah. And then you turn around, you know, a year yeah. later, six months later, you yourself are in that space. It was literally like a week. I could tell you it was a week. If you'd asked me seven days prior of me uh, preparing to commit suicide, about suicide, I would have told you it's the dumbest thing somebody could do. Mm-hmm. And then here I was because four days prior to me preparing to commit suicide, so many things fell heavy on me and then just ready to give up. Right. Okay, so that was an important conversation to have both as self-harming. So why did you, Matthew, why did you decide to uh, bring in uh, your character as a cutter? Well, you know, the um, some of these things, you know, uh, depression, for example, can be such an invisible disease. Yeah. He's the happiest, he's the happiest person I knew. Yeah. He always had a that, smile on that his face. That happens a lot, yeah. Um. You know, with our youth, with adults, with anybody who um, is also afflicted by uh, coping through cutting and physical harm. And, mm-hmm. and like you were just speaking about having something to control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also there is the, the rush of coming up to the line um, that he's walk. We see him, you know, I, I don't know how long into the film that's that takes to get revealed. But we are seeing this person. But just with the, the lifting of the sleeve. Uh, so much is revealed. Right. And to me, that's just a very, you know, I'm, as a storyteller, we are always looking for vis- visual storyteller. We are always looking for visual ways to convey mm-hmm. what we mean. Um, mm-hmm. This felt true to the character, mm-hmm. but also it felt like a uh, a way for us to convey it's right there. You know, it's right under his sleeve. And also it's a way to show history. You know, he says, uh, Daniel Stone is clearly like we need to take you to, to professional medical help. He's like, nah, this is all I need, just this, this, and this. He said, how do you know? He says, experience. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, as we grow up and with kids, I, I think especially because my first interaction with somebody who who uh, was inflicted by that is they hide their scars. Also, sure, you absolutely. know, I am hiding my scars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember that there was this young man I talked to the other day who now wears them and he has a tattoo that almost frames them, mm. and he says that you know my ownership of these wounds of the history of these wounds is me saying I'm not I'm not scared anymore to confront the fact that this is something that I'm living with almost like somebody in recovery mm-hmm. right sure there's a lot it's very popularized now I think as as we get more in the mainstream of therapy for somebody to say I'm healed and I think what's important uh, for for our community for people who uh, have loved ones friends is for us to know that this is as we grow so too can our shadows grow with us mm-hmm. so I think it's important to um to show that there's no erasing this off of his arm, mm-hmm. but there is a recontextualization, recontextualization of loving himself enough to see that this does not define him. Right. Like Daniel Stone tells him, um, he, uh, Anthony asks, cause he's going to get married. The character asks, mm-hmm. the character asks, mm-hmm. does this mean I'm broken? You mm-hmm. know, and Anthony, uh, and Daniel Stone says, no, it just means you're human. Mm-hmm. You're hurting. Absolutely. Um, and I think that these distinctions, because especially the state of depression can feel like, impenetrable yeah it can feel like never ending and i think for us to always point out hey this too shall pass right absolutely and i think that in our community in particular since this radio station we talk uh, we know who our audience is and we are unapologetically progressive about a lot of things we talk about here because we want to help and heal and restore and create resources for our community and so this whole stigma that goes behind so i've heard all three of you all of you in your 30s, mm-hmm. black men, 
I've heard all three of you talk about some type of struggle, if not you personally, but a struggle with depression or anxiety. Mm. I don't know how you could live in 2023 and not have experienced some level of that, especially over the last 10 years. Um, You're seeing, you know, people that look like you gunned down. You're seeing people beat. You're seeing, you know, so how, do you plan to create some healing? My company, Beloved Entertainment, is about impact media. So how do you personally, uh, each of you as filmmakers and artists, we talk about art reflecting life, or does life reflect art, right? Mm-hmm. So speak on that. Who wants to? Um, I can say uh, for myself and, and even uh, uh, my production company, which, uh, you know, we worked together on the on the first one. and um, My goal as a filmmaker is to make sure that we're not only talking about struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, I think oftentimes it seems, at least in Hollywood, that the African-American experience started with slavery and it ended with civil rights and nothing else happened. And I don't think that's the case because those aren't the people that I know. I want to talk to the people that are interested in comic books and science and outer space. And and why aren't we telling those stories? Because that's the world that we live in. And, uh, you know, that's what's reflected, you know, when when you walk outside. So I would I would love to be uh, a catalyst to make sure that we're focusing on that and that we aren't just hurt all the time, that we do have a lot of joy. (laughs) Right. Yeah, um, exactly. And then what about you, sir? Um. Well, I have to say I, I've been on a, a personal journey of just uh, influence over the past uh, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've noticed is a, a youth love to really connect with people who they feel are on a certain status or a star of some, some sort. And right. I, I experienced this early where a group of kids were following me on, around a mall once. And by the time they got to me... Um, I was kind of like standoffish because I didn't know what was happening. And they was like, oh, no, aren't you this character? And I was like, oh, yeah, I was doing this play (laughs) around town. And then I just became an advocate of like really getting after the youth um, because I think if we catch them early, we can really shift their mindsets uh, no matter what environment they're in. Absolutely. And I believe that we all have a responsibility to do just that. So when we come forward, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, art reflecting life and life reflecting art. Um, Again, thank you guys for being here. You You have amazing project and we're going to talk more when we come forward all in the sweet spot But I got three amazing artists right here with me. We're talking about art imitating life and life imitating art and what comes first and how to make an impact with our media. Yes, right? My company is an impact media company, so I'm very passionate about not just doing it, but about supporting people like you who are doing it, Matthew. And um, tell me. Tell me about your social justice and your activism and why um, this is important to you and how you plan to integrate that through your media. Um, we all have a contribution to make, I think, while we are here. Um, and we're not here for long. So I think the idea is is that when we commit to something bigger than ourselves, and that just takes the form of so many things. As far as, you know, starting in 2020, well, my mother is a 
a, a radical leader of a woman. And so I've always been taught that it's always the right time to do the right thing. And um, I think in 2020 with on the ground activism, I got very involved in, but I realized that the unique positioning of storytelling is that I do think it is the most powerful medium, hence why the images of Hollywood have influenced uh, if, if you've ever traveled internationally, you will know that the power of America is usually because of how well we have depicted America's power. So give us an example of one of those situations when you traveled. I was just in Japan and I was having a great day. And then I walked out and saw, um, oh, there's a word for them. Very, <laughs> it, it was uh, just a, a big red lip, wide eyed, white teeth, um, uh, like very coon, coon like coon like coon like image of a black person, and uh-huh. so that's what. Where was I, it? This was in uh, this was in Kyoto. Okay. So, but this is what's been exported as far as the black identity is concerned, mm-hmm. and I think even internationally, and you know, uh, thank God for Ryan Coogler for the whole Black Panther family and how that recontextualized what it meant to be African in the world mm-hmm. and the dignity that that represented, but even what that says about how Lashawn was just speaking about the normality being. Um, precious Mm -hmm. that our representation as just human beings who do not have to be exceptional uh, all the time everywhere uh, and still be dignified and still be Oh, absolutely. I remember when I took my kids, I, I know Kyoto, and I'm sure they have not seen a whole lot of black folks. No, no, man. <laughs> black, black Americans in Kyoto. No. But um, I was also in, um, I would say this was South Africa about 10, 15 years ago. Brought my kids. We did some outreach. We were there for about a month and going a couple of different places in Africa. And, and so we did a, a, a sort of cultural exchange with one of the schools there. And my kids come in from New York. You know, they're New Yorkers. They're cool. They're excited about being in the motherland. Mm. And all the kids wanted to talk to them about was Jay-Z, Beyonce. You know, do you do you know Jay-Z? <laughs> you know, do you know Beyonce? Right. You know, who, who do you hang out with? You know, at the time right. Prince was alive. They wanted to know about Prince. All the different, you know, the and that's in Africa. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. we're not talking uh, just in what we consider uh, countries that are predominantly white. The African American is in how we have been represented is very unique globally, even to our African cousins, mm-hmm. you know, and siblings. And I think that uh, the depiction of our stories and what it means if you are a storyteller out there and you have something that is just about a conversation that happens at a dinner table, that that in and of itself is extremely valuable. Um, I think I think that uh, our place at this table where we are telling stories means that uh, we do not have to always fit into the box that they've made for us. And I think a part of this means uh, is originated through ownership. LaShawn, Reginald LaShawn Clay uh, has his own production company. You have your own production mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. I started my own production company mm-hmm. because the autonomy that's needed for mm-hmm. us to tell stories, which is interesting because most people say, oh, build your own table, but everybody's waiting for a check from Apple or a call sheet right. from from Disney. Right. You know, so I think that it's been very important for me writing these scripts and, and looking to my left and my right. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to connect laterally to mm-hmm. know that you are here now. Uh, the people you need are here now and to take it just as seriously as you would as an HBO project. Partnership is so important. Yes. And so I'm happy to know that you guys have partnered on this and done some things. And I hope to we should talk about some things as well. But but what I'm looking at this partnering is important. But also, I think 
culturally speaking, we're afraid to make mistakes. Because we know that if we make a mistake, we may be out for good. Yo, that's so real. So even as a filmmaker, there are things that I probably should have already put out there, but, you know, I want it to be perfect. I want to do another rewrite or Mm. another rewrite or another. And I got more friends that say, just let it go. It was good three rewrites ago, right? Right. So how do you, you, being the young filmmaker, um, step out with courage and faith and know that you are created for this work? It's, um, we got to be sick of it, you know? It's too, like, I'm tired of waiting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that I failed forward Mm. early. Nice. We have to make, you have to get out of the way of your own self, and we have to fail forward in the sense of saying that the first thing you make is not going to be the best thing. Mm -hmm. Critique, we live in a comment section of life, and I think if you've grown up where everything is always being hyper-critiqued, uh, that the comparison culture has become so extreme the, to uh, use an acting term that the uh, the sort of circle of attention has to be narrowed down to the point of you saying uh, I got to do this now I got to do it with what I have and I got to do it with a shaky voice shaky limbs whatever but I'm gonna take that step mm-hmm. um, but really it's just like I'm I, I don't want to I don't want to wait no more and I believe I believe in myself I believe in LaShawn mm-hmm. I believe in Steven mm-hmm. and I think that courage means that you have to the fear does not ever go away, but rather that, um, and we're never perfect, but you're right. We exist in a marketplace where like, let's say I'm working on my first feature right now. And I do know that the sort of Damocles or whatever is like, yo, if this sucks, <laughs> ain't nobody going to give you a shot again, you know, because we live in that exceptional, um, that be the exceptional Negro or get out. Right. Right. Know? Right. Miles, I know you're listening to all of this and you being an artist, um, you have a certain appreciation for be, have, you know, the need to put yourself out there, whether you think it's, it's going to be commercially accepted or not. So as a music maker, what do you, do you have a perspective on this? Um, I feel like, uh, we do have to get over that, that fear and stigma of, you know, thinking everything is going to be perfect. Because like you said, you do have to fail forward. And uh, I feel like our best works come from us learning from our own mistakes. You know, I think that makes us smarter, makes us wiser. And I think that that is the... Um, you guys can hear me loud and clear? We're good? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like that's the only way we can uh, improve as a society, improve as a as this generation of artists. Because I feel like, you know... Uh, Ever since I moved to L.A., I've kind of felt like I've been asking and begging for where are the true artists at. So to hear my man saying right here about, uh, you know, advancing the stories that are told about us around the world, it starts right here, right now. So definitely got to fail for it. Completely. And I got to say that, for example, the previous so many times you see people try to uh, like playing double Dutch, try to jump in where they can fit in. And I think with the first episode of this series that we've made was that it came from a place of authenticity for myself. It came from a place of like uh, a black DP once told me it had a ghost in it. I had to get that ghost out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to tell it now. And I think once it was done, I looked at it and I said, oh, I love this. And that was enough for me. Whatever came after, what came, whatever came from accolades or festivals or my mother or the, the my ex-girlfriend finally saying like, ooh, I finally love it. Like, it doesn't matter to me. I love what I made and it was authentic, it was honest, and it was true. So I think as long as we be truthful, we'll be all right. And that's why I wanted to bring you into the sweet spot uh, when we come forward. We have love on my shoulder. I thought that it would be easier than this. 
All right, if you're just joining me, I'm sorry, because we've had a great conversation with uh, two amazing, three amazing filmmakers, and they worked on a project that I saw at the um, Pan-African Film Festival. It's called True Stories, God Tells Bad Jokes, and it's one of a five-part series, and we have the writer, producer, director, Matthew Law here, along with uh, Stephen Barrington and Reginald LaShawn. We were talking about uh, the intersection and what it means to be in the sweet spot. For me, it's the intersection between divine timing and performance, auto accomplish a purpose. Mm. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I can give you an, an example of that. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm from Georgia, born and raised. Uh, as an actor, when you finish one job, you're out of work until you have the next job. So I remember laying on my couch one morning, get a call from my agent saying, hey, they want you to play Martin Luther King in this movie. And I'm like, okay, great. Hop on a plane, fly to Atlanta, shoot in Atlanta. I get to see my family. A day after I get there, my mom passes away mm. while I'm having to, to make this film. And while that destroyed me in, mm. in one way, the intervention in that was that I could have been on the other side of the country instead mm. of down the street. Mm. And so I got to be there uh, for my mom in, mm-hmm. that, in that aspect. And I got to be there uh, for my family who, who, who needed me and I, I needed them, you know, instead mm-hmm. of me trying to grab a flight and right. get in there and in a week later having to to deal with the aftermath of everything so I, and you must have felt a um whatever preparation you did as an actor to mm-hmm. prepare for that part that became a new preparation a new um just that heartbreak yeah i mean it was a challenge i, I mean even just to to lean on the people that were next to me and have mm-hmm. trust in, in those individuals i think it 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 opened me up in a in a way i i hadn't expected for that mm-hmm. particular um, mm-hmm. piece uh, mm-hmm. even just to continue forward was a... but when i think about king and the complexity mm-hmm. of his life mm-hmm. the bittersweet right yeah the yeah. being uh, uh revered and respected by one group and hated in and, you know, so it was a lot of conflict, emotionally conflict. Right. And so I'm sure that that, as an actor, mm-hmm. I'm sure that that um, was an interesting place for you. Absolutely. What about what about you, sir? Do you, do you see any um, times in your life? I know that you just narrowly missed uh, mm-hmm. or just in an accident on the way here almost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm grateful that you're safe. But tell me, what does the sweet spot mean for you? Um, Man, the sweet spot is 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 where we are in life. I mean, I, I think it's a constant at this point when you really um, are grateful for just living. Mm-hmm. Um, with our, these two gentlemen here, Matt Law and LaShawn Clay, I mean, I think we um, we were meant to be in this room together and to do this project together um, as a suicide survivor. And then, you know, someone who's also a, a creative and a filmmaker, you know, it's really dope when you can really connect um, on a higher level on something that's very important, a topic that's very, very important. Um to just not even just our community, but like the world. Sure, absolutely. Um, it's global. It's a global issue. Yeah, most definitely. So I, I think that the the divine timing is is really already in place. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's just a matter of us continuing the journey and allowing you know the good things to to really connect so that we can broaden and um, you know just do more for our communities. I love it. And what about you, um, Matthew? What do you when you look at the think about what the sweet spot is and which because I don't believe in coincidence. I believe mm. everything is strategically ordered for purpose. Can you um, talk about the sweet spot in your life and what's happening and how you view that? You know, I just uh, somebody said recently that the teacher doesn't talk during the test. And I think like those moments where you feel you're most tested. Um, that there's a grander plan at work. It took me a long time. I think my faith has always been something that I 
is a continuous journey. But um, yeah, even for this, I mean, I, I attended a, an acting institution called IDSA Identity, uh, which was a British based. And then I joined in a year where I basically said, I'm giving it everything I got. Because on top of being a filmmaker, I'm an actor. And to anybody out there who is an artist, but who says, I dabble in this, I do, like the ownership of you saying, I am blank is essential. Um, and this was the year that I was like, I am this. Mm, so nice. what is the tough thing out there? When I joined this thing, I auditioned, I gave it my all. I ended up getting paired with all these people who happen to, these people are my are some of my best friends in life. They're like family. Your uh, crew? Uh, they are heavily my crew, but in the sense of being that they're just uh, co-collaborators. Okay. They are, they are uh, a lot of black women, women of color, who are now my friends. And one of those people is LaShawn Clay. Mm-hmm. And LaShawn was there. And uh, if, if this is correct, LaShawn, like, he was like, I'm done with acting. This was, this was going to yeah. be his last moment. And there was everybody who was there was so conjoined on a path of passion and purpose. And I think it took me a long time to find that connection. But it happened organically by me just saying, I'm showing up for myself. And then I ended up meeting all these other people who are showing up for themselves in the biggest way. And mm-hmm. now... Once again, community being a huge part of what we need, they become my community. So I know that when you started this program, we were this project, we were in the middle of COVID. So you had to start getting creative of how you can continue your creative juices. Sure. Yeah, this was something where, like, like we were just talking about. I wasn't taking uh, somebody else's timetable for being able to create. So I shot it. I acted in it, uh, directed it, wrote it. And LaShawn played opposite of me as Daniel Stone. And then we had uh, my brother Frankie doing audio. Uh, Rob Smith, who's produced all of them, who's an incredible producer. Um, and a few other people, inc- including Rebecca, who's our movement teacher at Identity. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was a, um, a a proof of concept of me saying, we can do this. Mm-hmm. I don't, we don't have to wait. And sure enough, it went on to slam dance. It went on to win awards at different film festivals. Um, and uh, So you have a festival a- tonight? A-B-F-F. You have A-B-F-F. Were you at BFF? ABFF. It, the first one won ABFF's best. Oh, uh, great. Series, yeah. Great. And Last then, year. Okay, excellent. And then tonight you're going to be shown at? Tonight we are at New Filmmakers LA mm-hmm. in downtown Los Angeles at 745. And then tomorrow uh, the Blessed Pan-African Film Festival is having us at 830. Okay. So we can you can all come in and see uh, this amazing project. You know, there's so many things for us to do. Um, I thank you for being um, having the social justice as a part of your um, your mandate mm. and figuring out how to do that through the arts. So when we come forward, we're going to talk a little bit more. And I'm so happy to have you in the sweet spot. Well, we are, oh, we are, oh, I hate to let you guys go. There's so much that we could talk about. I love you being here. Um, I have filmmaker Matthew Law and his two uh, actors who participated in the true story, God Tells Bad Jokes. Um, They're in the sweet spot. That's Stephen Barrington and Reginald LaShawn Clay. And we've been talking about passion and purpose and I think you guys were kind of creative for this time. It's a unique time to be a filmmaker. Right. Uh, Just in terms of what your cameras can do. Right. Just in terms Mm. of what your iPhone can do. Mm. So it's really interesting. There's a lot of content creators. And so everybody's not making things that are empowering and impactful and uplifting and elevating. So I appreciate what you're doing and what you're, you know, what you've created this self-proclaimed mandate on your life. Right. Mm. Yes. I would say, you know, tune into your intuition that's whispering. 
the noise uh, can be very loud. The world can be very loud over what's expected of you. But um, for all you artists, that there is a, a truth trying to come out. Uh, there is something uh, necessary within you. Your voice is necessary. Um, and I think, uh, once again, that ownership of your power uh, and do it now with what you got around you, with the people around you. And that's how we uh, that's how we build, how we uh-huh. evolve. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we don't we don't need to wait for permission on that. On expression. So how do people follow you, Matthew, in terms of what projects you have coming up, how they can see some of your past work? How do they follow you? Sure, yeah. You can find me at I am, I-A-M, Matt, M-A-T-T, L-A-W, at I am at law on Instagram um, or I am at law.com. and we just we just making a lot of things. <laughs> There's just a lot out so, Okay, so how do we how do we follow you, um, Stephen, and and how do we follow you, um, Reginald? Uh, well, I can be found um, on social media. All my social media is the same for Stephen Barrington, and that's Stephen with a P H S T E P H E N B A R R I N G T O N. Is there any other work out there that you are? Ah oh, man, I got a I, I got a few things coming up. I got a, a pretty big show getting ready to come out with Tom Holland in a couple Ooh. months. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited about that. Uh, What's the name of it? It's called The Crowded Room. Okay, and where's that? That'll be on Apple TV with um, yes, me, Tom Holland, and Amanda Seyfried. Okay, excellent, mm-hmm. very nice. And you, sir, how can we uh, follow you? You can follow me uh, on Instagram at Reginald Lashawn Clay. Uh, this is just my name. <laughs> just my name. Just my name. <laughs> just my name. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, next, I mean, I mean, Matt said, I mean, we we worked on on a lot of <laughs> a lot of projects, and even just having this uh, creative community where we can continue to collaborate. I mean, that's that's where it starts. Uh, uh, next, um, we're currently uh, workshopping and developing a version of Othello. So digging into it. some some Shakespeare. And surprisingly, recently I found out there's not been many black actors to play Othello, even though Othello's. The more the play. That was the well, first black. Well, I live. I grew up. My kids grew up next to Ruby D and Ozzy Davis, and mm-hmm. so we we had a lot of folks playing Othello, but might not be uh, in the in literature they took. I played Desdemona. Right. So oh, I, okay. so if you need an old Desdemona, let me know. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's all good, you guys. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to come check you guys out. I want to see that one more time. That's tomorrow night at what time? Eight thirty. 8.30 at the Pan-African um, Film Festival, and tonight at 7.45 at? New Filmmakers LA. Okay. All right, you guys. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you. Follow me at Angelique in the Sweet Spot for upcoming programming, and I'm so happy to be here. Remember, there's everyday miracles in the Sweet Spot. <laughs>